Hey lovelies, before we get started, I wanted to remind you of all the different ways you can get your hands on one of my designs. Impact Fashion is a line of size-inclusive, modest clothing available in sizes 2 through 28. I personally design and pattern every single piece in the collection so that it is fitted to perfection and every single piece runs the same. That means that once you know your size, that is your size in every single piece in the collection. Pretty cool, no? You could shop the collection online at impactfashionnyc.com. Shipping is totally free in the U.S. and the return policy is, if I do say so myself, better than Amazon. You have 30 days to make a decision and don't even have to pay return shipping or any sort of annoying restocking fee. Impact Fashion can also be found at the address at American Dream Mall. The address is a curated, modest department store and definitely worth a visit if you are not an online shopping type of person. The American Dream Mall is located right next to the Meadowlands Sports Complex in New Jersey, and to get to the address, you're going to want to park in Lot C, Level 3. Make a left when you walk in, and you'll see the address on your right. I'm always happy to chat, whether that's to answer your sizing questions or just get to know each other better. Find me on Instagram and TikTok at impact.fashion.nyc or on WhatsApp status at 516-953-9391. You can also email me. It's rifky, R-I-V-K-Y, at impactfashionnyc.com. Enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzquitz, and on today's show, I sit down with a prolific children's book author to discuss her work. She shares why she identifies as a six-year-old boy, the impact of her groundbreaking book, Let's Stay Safe, how she distills complex topics down to their simplest parts, and how children in Israel are handling the war. When Bracha Getz first reached out about being on this show, like most Jewish mothers in a certain chapter of life, I immediately recognized her name. She is a prolific Jewish children's book author who breaks down life's complexities into the simplest parts for our youngest kids and maintains some of that youthful wonder in her own life, which has been quite the journey. As a little kid, I would say I always love to learn. I, I, I didn't get to go to school till I was like older, like, I don't know, like I missed the cutoff. And I remember I got to visit like a nursery school when I was still not in school yet. I was so excited. I walked in, it was like, oh my gosh, this is like all the wisdom in the world is in this place. This is where I want to be. I always loved the idea of like learning about stuff from, from, from very little, a little child. And I'm sure that that's something that you still continue to do now every day with with the, the books that you write. Yeah, that's me. I, I mean, I think I've stayed in that mindset of being a child in a world of wonder. That's still how the world feels to me. Yeah. That is that sounds like such a wonderful brain space to, <laughs> to inhabit. Did you always know you were going to be a writer? No, you know, I, I remember that in high school, um, in your book, they wrote, they wrote, and I'm like, why did you pick that? Why am I going to be the class author? You know, I, I, I wanted to be something else, you know, but that's what I was. And I think they knew me better than I knew me, you know? <laughs> 
sometimes these yeah. things are more obvious to the people around us than they are to yeah. themselves, right? Yeah, exactly. So how, how yeah. did you find becoming a writer? Because you are a prolific writer and specifically children's book author, and you've written some books yeah. for adults as well. Um, but I mean, we're talking about dozens of, of children's books that that you've written that, yeah. that, you know, if people are familiar with the the Jewish children's book scenes, they've seen your yeah. book, they know your name. How did that, how did that come about? How did you end up doing that? You know, I, I, I was sitting with my children. I, we lived, we started um, a yeshuv, um, a settlement in in Israel and um, in Gush Etzion. And I was there, I was sitting outside of my caravan um, with my little children. And I finally had time to write down a story because they were playing nicely with other children. And so I had tons of ideas, but I didn't have time. So I brought a notebook and I wrote this story and on loose leaf paper, I stuck it in an envelope, mailed it to America, and like six weeks later, I got back a response that the book was accepted, and I was so excited. I mean, like, wow, picture books were always my favorite kind of books, and this is a person that went to Harvard, you know, but I don't like reading long books. I love simple books. I love simplifying, so there it was. I was so thrilled that my book was accepted and then I just kept going, you know, um, I, I, I really, I'm telling you, I don't know why I identify as a six-year-old boy. I'm not kidding. And this is my, this is who I am in these books. Um, that's the mindset that I have. And that's, the, that's usually the main character is about that age, you know, and uh, that's, that's where I'm, I'm still at. And I love, I love taking deep or even controversial or complex topics and explaining them in the most simple, joyful way so it can really enter a person's soul, like get right in there. Yeah. Uh, out of curiosity, why do you identify as a six-year-old boy and not a six-year-old girl? <laughs> I have no idea. When I was even, I used to do like acting as a child. I always wanted the role as like the six-year-old boy in the plays. I don't know. I just like, I just, I have no idea. It was like adventurous. I don't know why. I just love that. And um, also in the books, this is a very interesting thing. Girls who read a book with the main character being a boy, but boys are not as interested in reading books with the main character being a girl. So it just seems to also, it actually relates to more, more children will relate to the book, which is very interesting. I do have some books with the main characters a girl, but in general, that's oh, the one of them that is Aliza in Mitzvahland. I mean, that had to be a girl because that it was a takeoff and Alice in Wonderland, you know, so that, right. uh, <laughs> but right. also the other thing is that, you know, <clears throat> I wasn't brought up as a Torah observant person and I try to write the books that I wished I could have had as a child, books that explain the joyfulness of Judaism and they also explain <clears throat> to a very young child that they're a spiritual being and that they need that kind of nourishment, spiritual nourishment in order to blossom in life. So 
even the young, the books I write, even for the littlest children, like I have some board books for ages like one month to three years. So the idea of those books is I was reading um, a book from the library to um, my oldest granddaughter. And um, I, I, I said, you know, there should be a book for children, for Jewish children like this, so that they can see the world through Jewish eyes from the very beginning of life, see the joy in Judaism. So that's what I did. It, it It's a series of board books. It's called like, what do you see? What do you see at home? What do you see on Shabbos, on the Sabbath? What do you see at school? What do you see on in different holidays? It, it, it helps the children. It empowers young children to give them the words to understand the world early on in life. And in this book, in those books, it's all photographs. And children love babies too. Toddlers love to look at pictures of other toddlers and babies like them. So the books are designed for the youngest people, those board books. Yeah. That idea of the photograph, that was something that I was yeah. so not expecting when I became a you know a young mother and and then you know eventually entered the toddler stage and everything that the way that you see they relate to a photo. It's like they're looking like yes. I, maybe they're just not uh, developed enough to realize that the photo is not a real person. But it's it's yes. so like little details like that of you know using photos instead of illustrations make a big difference when you yes. when you are starting with an idea or let's say when you're you know when you have a, a book that or a concept or something that you're working on what wh where are you starting from is it oh I'd like to write a book for this age or I'd like to write something about this topic what's your tell tell me about your process. Very good question. It happens usually in one of two ways. Now that I'm known as an author, I get requests for certain topics. That's one thing mm -hmm. that happens. Like I have a book, um, Let's Swim Safely. Now that book was somebody called me from upstate New York. She was so upset at what she was seeing. Um, this is a board book also for toddlers because it, toddlers have um, a very high drowning rate. It's horrible. And and we need to help this age group. So that she was really desperate for me to write a book about that. And um, thank God. Yeah, it's a really important book. I learned a lot writing it because I didn't know all the facts. Like, I didn't even know that drowning is silent. That's most people don't realize it's there's no call for help when a child's underwater. You know, it's um, there's a lot to learn. There's notes for the parents in the back. But the book is for chil young children. The children, they memorize the book. They 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 get the guidelines and they are so much more careful. I've seen it with so many children. It's an amazing thing that happens. So it's, it's really, oh, so that's one thing. And my Let's Say Healthy book, during the pandemic, parents were asking for books. How can my children, they're just eating junk, they're not exercising, they're not going to sleep. How can I help them understand why it's important? So, my background is in public health. Like, even as an undergraduate at Harvard, I was taking courses at Harvard Medical School and the School of Public Health. 
and then I went to medical school too. So I, I love, I have several books that are public health books. And so that book explains to children why, which is really important. Let's stay safe. And um, <clears throat> talking about personal privacy, those are like really groundbreaking books um, about prevention of abuse. Um, one of them specifically is about prevention of abuse. That's uh, <clears throat> talking about personal privacy. Let's Stay Safe was published first. And everybody was really frightened for this book to come out. It took four years for me to get a publisher to accept it. With Rabbi Horowitz's health, he pushed it through, thank God. And the book, it, it talks about personal safety prevention of abuse as just one other normative safety measure among many other safety measures. And that's how we got it out to the public. So. Um, and how did I write that book is because I was the I was uh, coordinating a big brother, big sister program for years, like 20 years. And I I really that I became an ep expert on the subject of prevention of abuse of children. So I'd read so much literature and gone to many workshops on the subject. So I was really excited to present a book. Uh, culturally appropriate for the Orthodox community. And it really, really changed the Orthodox community um, where now it's commonplace to teach children about this. And that's the only book of mine that my name is not on the book. They were actually scared to put my name on the book at the time. They were afraid of backlash and it's it's amazing. People nowadays can't even picture that that would be the case. That's how much things have changed since that book was published. Um, they were afraid of backlash on your other publications, or that you personally would receive. Yeah, um, they they were afraid of that. I wasn't afraid, but I didn't have really a voice in that issue. I I, I said I'm not afraid at all. They were afraid of backlash toward me. I. I was not worried about it, but anyway, <laughs> that's, that's how it turned out. For me, sometimes I just have, that was something I wanted to write about. Like Kurt Vonnegut describes it as, oh, it's easy to write. You just kind of cut the vein and let it flow because sometimes it's coming from so deep inside me, I have to get it out. That one I had to get out into the world. And other books too, like um, I, I have a granddaughter with severe disabilities. And after she was born, people told me, well, now you're gonna write a book about disabilities. And I said, I would love to, but I don't feel like I'm an expert in the subject. I don't know how I could do it. Soon after, I saw an article written by uh, Yael Zellinger, who does workshops for schools teaching about how children that are not so neurodiverse can relate to children with more disabilities. And I asked her if I could use her workshop material to create a picture book. So that's how that book, uh, that's Let's Appreciate Everyone. That's how that book came out. And if I see a need for something, 
that's what draws me to write a book um, about it. This connective thread of, you know, these complex topics being distilled into very simple terms is something that we see a lot throughout your work. And I'm curious how do you how do you go about doing that? Like taking Let's Stay Safe as an example, that you know the the purpose of that book, the the point of that book is to educate children on how to protect themselves from sexual abuse, which is a big and scary topic, right? I don't necessarily like. I would want to keep. Uh, let's say you're talking about a five six year old. You obviously want to keep them safe, but I also don't necessarily want them to know that. Sexual abuse is a thing that exists. So how do you take these difficult topics? How do you frame them in a way, first of all, so that they are understandable to the children so that we're not freaking them out and also so that it's something that people will feel comfortable in, um, you know, reading to their kids? Exactly right. You, you use the most perfect word. Ah, I got to remember that word, distilled. That's exactly what I love to do. Take... It's a distillation process. I love to get to the core. The core, I figure out what is the essence of something. And that's what I love to express. Um, so how does it happen with me? That, thank God, is the gift that I was giving. That's what I'm so grateful for. It comes naturally to me. I I just always want to get to the essence of things. like. Like for for years, I I had a happy childhood, but then adolescence and teenage years were were painful for me because I lost the sense of the purpose of life. What is this all about? And 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 I kept searching for it. I wanted to understand the essence of life. It was like such a strong need for me. So that is what comes naturally to me to to zero in on the essence until I found out about the soul of Judaism, the essence of it, I was searching more and more desperately and the search became very painful. Um, I searched in so many different ways to try to understand what life was all about. So once I find it, I can, I can bring it out into the world and explain it in a very joyful way. And that's partially because I still have that childlike mindset and a sense of joy and wonder about the world. Yeah. I love that you're just owning up to the fact that, yeah, this is something I'm really good at. I'm just really good at that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. It's just, no, there's no like complicated process or anything like that. Rafa's is <laughs> just really good at this. And that's what she does. And we are all able to benefit from this wonderful light that you have. Well, thank God. That part's not a struggle. That's what flows out. But let me say, it's totally from God. Because this is how it goes. Let's say a mother calls me. She wants me to write a book, the, the Let's Stay Healthy book. And I go, I would love to do this, but I don't exactly know how to do it. Okay, let me think about it. So I think about it. And three days later, I wake up. I always keep a pad by my bed with a pen. I wake up in the morning. Usually, it's still dark. It's just before dawn. I get up. My husband's still asleep, so I'm writing in the dark. And I try to hopefully see what I've scribbled in the dark. I get up, and I write down 
I have the title for the book. I know exactly how to write this book. I have the whole sense of it. And I call her up, then I go, I got the book exactly. God sent me exactly how to do this book. In in it, it it it's like it's as if it's like a channeling. It really is. It's like we are vessels and we open ourselves up to that energy. And when we open ourselves to the energy, it pours in. That's that's what the experience feels like for me. I just I just have to catch all the drops fast enough so I don't lose them. You know, like I'm I'm catching them on my pieces of paper. That's how it feels. You just have you're you're just along for the ride. Yes, exactly. exactly. You've mentioned you've mentioned um, you know that you are a Harvard graduate and interested in public health and and that you had you know this journey towards uh, becoming the person who you are today. Um, I, I'd love if if you're okay with it if you could tell me a little bit more about that. How how did you go you know into uh, being this prolific Jewish children's author? Well, you know, I'm the only book I've written for adults is my memoir about the journey. And it's called now, it used to have a different title. We got it back from the publisher with a new title now, and it's now called Nourish the Soul. It's, and oh, Nourish the Soul, Filling the Emptiness Within is the subtitle, because that is what happened. It is, it's almost a documentary, it's 20 years from age 12 to 32. And I don't like to write long stuff. So this, it's it's a compilation. I took like excerpts from my diaries that I kept from age 12. And then when I got older, I called them journals. And then there were letters that I sent home. Plus, I filled in the missing pieces. So it's really like watching a documentary. The person, anyone reading it, experiences it with me. Also, you see me like slowly developing food addictions and how I healed from them. And the way I describe the food addictions is I had a starving soul. And actually, you know... I was trying to make my body look like what my soul was feeling. It was like a symptom of what I was feeling, you know. And when I wasn't um, like dieting excessively, then I was on these uncontrollable binges, desperately searching to fill myself with lasting pleasure. That's that's the way I see it. So that's um, and there I was at Harvard. Um, of course, I became, I studied um, eating disordered behavior as like my thesis. I got all into that. And I, I, it was like, and I was getting sicker and sicker as I'm studying these things, you know. And people had no idea how I was suffering because you couldn't really tell from looking at me because I would fluctuate between these two things, between binging and um, the excessive dieting. So like with most addictions, it was it was hidden and people had no idea what I was going through. But addictions are like prisons and they, the walls get narrower and narrower and that's how my life was becoming. So 
through Harvard and then in medical school, it got even worse. That was the the worst. It was it hit. I was really hitting rock bottom. And the summer after my first year of medical school, I had a six week break to go to Israel. And I remember um, my my parents. Um, I, I actually I was only dating non-Jewish people all those years on purpose. And then, like my my mother was like, you know, maybe you'll meet someone Jewish in Israel. And so I, when I went, um, they my mother basically said, do whatever you want. Just please don't contact this one friend I had from back who back in the past, who became a religious fanatic. So of course I contacted him, you know, and I was like, um, I want to learn about the purpose of life. I want to be a psychiatrist and I want to help people find meaning in their lives. And I want to know why life is worth living. And he, he was like, yeah, don't worry about your patients. You have to find it out. And I'm going to take you to some schools for like, late beginners, adult beginners in Judaism. And that's what I did. I, I started studying and I ended up taking a year's leave of absence from medical school. I ended up not going back. I ended up staying for 10 years. And um, then I met my husband. I had children. We started the settlement. And then we did end up going back to the States. Um, when my parents weren't well, and we stayed there for a whole lot of years. And now we're returning to live in Israel, where I am now. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, obviously everybody knows what's been going on in Israel is uh, sh stressful, does not even begin to touch it. Um, and uh, first of all, if you, where, where are you in Israel? Like, where, where are you in terms of, you know, how things are, are holding right now? Yes, I am in a city called Beitar, which is um, 20 minutes from Jerusalem. So I'm in the center area of Israel. But we are surrounded by um, Arab towns that are very hostile to us right now. And we are having repeated infiltrations happening and bombs being planted. And we have had missile attacks here just on Monday. I was outside when um, a number of missiles landed without an air raid siren because they landed in the valley and not on our streets. Um, if it's coming to our streets, then we get an air raid siren and then we go into our safe rooms. But I was just right out there and there were the missiles just coming down this week. So it hasn't stopped. Um, it's incredible. As someone yeah. who is who is pretty skilled, like we've said before, about, you know, taking these complex topics and distilling them into simple terms, uh, especially for children, um, how, uh, like over the past couple of weeks as we've had this war, how how have you found that, children are doing in, with mm. this type of situation? And what's the best way to go about explaining this to them, whether they're in Israel or outside of Israel, which I'm sure are two very different types of situations? Yes. As when the sirens were very frequent 
it was very hard for the children. They were not wanting to sleep in their rooms by themselves. They were sleeping with their parents, my grandchildren here. Um, they've calmed down considerably since the air raid sirens have decreased. Um, and also they were, they were at one of the attack that happened on the street. My grandchildren were right there. So that was extremely traumatizing to them. What I actually had my grandchildren do is call the grandchildren in America and tell them the story. They've told the story again and again of what they experienced that day when the missiles came down and they had to run to a safe room on a street they didn't know. <clears throat> they were playing in the park. Um, after the third time of repeating it to their cousins in America, they got a lot of the anxiety out of them. It became their story, which is actually empowering. And that's the same thing with abuse. You know, when you hear it and you are able to hear and people listen to you and empathize with you, that is very, very helpful for healing. Same thing with abuse. So um, the other thing that I find the young children doing is repeatedly making the air raid siren sounds. Mm. They, they are just doing this and we have to tell them please don't do this outside because <clears throat> if you make that sound outside everyone thinks it's actually happening like a little far away so we can't do it indoors we let them make these sounds that also is empowering for them to give them a sense of control yeah yeah that actually like kind of their children in general just mimic their environment and if that's a part of their environment then right you're gonna get you know play siren sounds Exactly. I never experienced war my whole life till now. And when I woke up, of course, on the morning of Simchat Torah, I had no idea what that sound was. Right. I thought it was an ambulance that it just didn't stop. Why is the air ambulance siren not stopping? It, it didn't make sense. You know, it's a very strange sound. If you've heard the videos, oh, and the children I mean, they never heard it like that either. So they keep making these strange, you know, it's a very weird noise. So, um, and then another night when we had the infiltration, it was a whole different sound that I'd never heard before. It was a car going around with this very other new strange noise telling us to lock all our windows, lock, lock our doors, not come out. Um, and we had all left our phones on. They told us to leave the phones on on Shabbat, so we did. And uh, you, you, every day, there's a. I mean, there's new experiences that we're going through and and learning and changing. But but the anti-Semitism is now coming out all over the world now, um, as as Israel, you know, strikes back at Hamas, the anti-Semitism is pouring out worldwide so are we going to have a, a new book on anti explaining anti-semitism to children oh so i because we the, need it yeah, <laughs> and no, i my, need one for myself yeah no my newest book actually that came out before this is called the courage club this is how to stand up to anti-semitism it's the story of daniel so mm. we we have the spiritual dna in us the children have it we have the courage to withstand, we've proven it again and again. Where does this, where does this miraculous courage come from? It's inexplainable. 
how we can continue, right? And so the Courage Club, these Daniel, Daniel, the, the book of Daniel, Daniel and his friends, his three friends, they were captives. It's so similar in certain ways to what's happening now. They were captives in Babylonia. And they had to stand up to anti-Semitism. And the book explains that we still have the, that same spark within us now. This is what keeps us going. It's a divine spark of courage. It's, 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 um, it's not rational. You can't explain it rationally, what we have inside of us, what keeps us going. So, um, yeah, that, that book is, is a really good book for helping children to understand we've been there before, we've done this throughout history, and we will keep doing it as long as we have to. And because we know, as Daniel proves in the book, we are light to the world. You know, Hitler, Yamak Shemo, wanted to get rid of us. He was so open about it because he said we are the conscience of the world. We've got to get rid of us. There's, there's no other group. Many other groups have gone through oppression, but no group of people do people want to exterminate, wipe off the face of the map but the Jewish people again and again. And here we still are. It's, it's, it's so beyond human comprehension. It has to be miraculous. That's such a wonderful way of, of framing it. I you see all of the things that you're saying, I know, right? Like I, I, I yes. know these things and I, and I rationally have the facts stored in my brain, but sometimes it's a little bit hard to access them and distilling things down. Like you said, the way that we would for children, it's helpful for adults too. I'll, yeah. I'll say yeah. Uh, yeah. going back a little bit to, to speaking about your memoir for a second, one of the topics or one of the the concepts that you talk about is this thing called the pleasure ladder yeah. and I'd love if you could tell me more about it we're switching gears tell me about yeah. the pleasure ladder uh, and what that is and and how we can use that in our lives yes let's switch from the war to the pleasure ladder good good move okay <laughs> the pleasure ladder and it's with us every day during the war, no war, we have the pleasure ladder tool to use. It is so helpful. This was, this came from Rev Noach, Rev no, Rabbi Noach Weinberg, who started Asha Torah. It's so genius. And it's based on ancient, ancient mystical writings from um, the Ramchal, which is Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lozato, his teachings about the five levels of the human soul. The five levels of pleasure, they correspond to the five levels of the human soul, and they also correspond to our five fingers. We have the ability to bring pleasure into our lives at any moment. Totally empowering. We are not dependent on others for our own pleasure. That is life-changing. That's what changed my life. This is what helped me become Torah observant, these teachings. So the, the lowest level on the pleasure ladder, it, it corresponds to the lowest level of the soul, which is called the nefesh. The nefesh is the level of the soul that's connected to the body. So 
it gets nourished when the body gets nourished. What nourishes our body? What brings pleasure to our body? All the sensual pleasures that God made for us. It could have been that like food, the, the nourishment we needed was like um, a, a tasteless pill that we take every day. Or it could have been we didn't need any at all. But God made us this certain way on purpose. He gave us these delightful food to eat, which that's Hashem's candy store. That's the book about that. And, and that's uh, Let's Stay Healthy. Explaining how amazing are the natural foods that God has made for us, which are like, I, I, I love to give the example of an orange because um, like all the fruit are green when they start out. They are camouflaged in with the leaves. They're hidden until they're ready for us. When they are ready for us, they become bright and beautiful. Come and get me. I'm ready. They're calling to us with their colors, their vivid colors. And then they smell beautiful. They look beautiful. All the senses, pleasure for everything. And they taste. It's sweet and juicy. And when you finish the experience of the amazing orange, you're left with the seeds. The seeds are designed to be eternal. They just go on and on. You plant them and you get trees and you get infinite more oranges. It's the most amazing experience. So when we eat these food with mindful gratitude and appreciation, it changes the entire experience. And that's how we get full. That's how we fill up because you know, it's it it's just changes the entire experience when we eat these everything designed by God to fill us up physically, to nurture us physically and spiritually. So that's the lowest level is music, healthy eating, um, being in nature, movement, exercise, dancing, gardening, all these things are natural pleasures um, on the lowest level of pleasure. And then there's four more levels. I don't know if you have time. I, I'm happy to tell you Please. what they are, but um, oh, no, goody. seriously, go okay, through them. Great. I'm fascinated. Okay. So the next level up is love. Now, you would think, how could love be empowering? It's dependent on somebody else. The Jewish definition of love, Rabbi Weinberg taught us, hakaris hatov, appreciate, it means appreciating the virtues of another, focusing on the goodness in, in somebody else, recognizing. Hakaris hatov translates to recognizing the goodness. Right. That's it's appreciation, it's gratitude. Yes, exactly. So when we... A person in prison, in solitary confinement, could focus on the virtues of a grandmother that once did a kindness for them, and they are uplifted. They are filled with a warm emotional feeling. They could be inspired to become a better person. Nobody's there with them. They are focusing on, in their heart actually, but with using their mind, on what do they appreciate about someone else? So we can bring love into our lives at any moment. Um, and that is, you notice each 
level up brings more and more connection, first mm. to a physical thing, then to another person. Now, the next level up is meaning, doing something meaningful. So people will say, oh, if you want to um, get happier, volunteer, spend time in nature, exercise, this explains why these things actually work, because it is actually nourishing higher and higher levels of our soul. Doing something meaningful. Um, I was on another show, and I when I got up to this level, the host said he um, he was feeling miserable the other day, and he had two slices of pizza. He's sitting by himself, and he's about to plow through the whole box of pizza by himself. And there's a knock on his door, and his neighbor needs his help with something for two minutes. He helps his neighbor. He comes back. He doesn't want the pizza anymore. What changed? He just filled up helping somebody else. He did something meaningful. He didn't need the pizza anymore. Put the rest in the fridge for another day. It's, um, it works instantaneously. It fills us up. It gives us the lasting pleasure that we're craving. When a person's overeating, they just keep stuffing their face because they want the pleasure to keep lasting, which makes sense. It's a sense of scarcity. I had a sense of scarcity about life. There's not enough pleasure. Once I saw and understood about the abundance of pleasure in the world that I had the power to bring into my life at any moment, that's the tool that I needed to, to heal. So so what's that's three, what's a, number four? Yeah, the high, higher than that is a surprise. The level up, you're going to love this, is creativity. It's Ooh. when we put, yes, it's when we put. I do like you, that. Yeah, <laughs> we put a unique part of ourselves into the world. Like anybody could have helped his neighbor, but only you your uniquely beautiful soul can do this exactly like this. And when we are in the zone of creativity, we don't feel like eating or sleeping. We are on such a high, like time. We're even beyond time. We have no idea that time is passing. That's how I feel. When I'm creating a book, I have no idea that anything else is happening. We, we call that like, a flow state now. Yes, we yeah. are flowing what are we what's flowing this is it you got it what's flowing that energy from god is flowing through us it's so intensely awesome it is such a pleasure that's what's flowing that's what people don't recognize so that's it and then the highest level is called transcendence that's when we are connecting with everything and everybody and recognizing that we're all connected to the same source energy. It's flowing between all of us, all of us. I mean, the poor Palestinians, the Jewish people here, this same energy is when we really can lift those veils of separation and we can all be together. It's all possible with God's help. That's all possible. All those miraculous things. When we when we look up in the starry, starry sky at night, we know we're a part of that greater universe. That's a sense of transcendence. We can get it from prayer. We can get it 
We can get it from learning wisdom, the deepest wisdom. We can get it in so many different ways. And, you know, we just get glimpses. You notice that the two highest levels, we don't, we spend most of our time on earth on the three lower levels, but we get glimpses of these higher levels. And um, that's, that is the pleasure letter, which you can actually, there's a free copy of it on my website that people can download if you put in your email address and it's, it's wonderful for people to have that chart to put on their fridge or on their cabinet, whatever, to remind you there's people get stuck in their addiction when there's really an infinite number of ways to bring pleasure into our lives at any moment. And the most important thing is there's only one price to pay to climb the pleasure ladder. And that is gratitude. Gratitude is what helps us get to every single run rung on the pleasure ladder. It's all about gratitude. It's recognizing it's all gifts where it's all a connection. And when we recognize that, you see, like it takes the ego out of the creativity too, because like it takes, people say writer's block, no, there's no ego involved. It's like, it's just a flow. It's just we are vessels and we're catching the flow. It's recognizing that and that just fills us with gratitude because it's all energy coming from God. I'm so glad that we're ending off on this because <laughs> uh, I, I think that, that recognizing, like you said, that these are things that anybody can access at any point is yes. wonderfully empowering and yes. also gives us all permission to, to reach out for those things, to recognize, yes. um, like you said, to practice that gratitude, recognize these sources of pleasure in our lives and to pursue them. Yes. If, if somebody wants to learn more about you, Bracha, where can they go? Oh, please visit my my website that my children have created. It's so awesome. It's they, a very they, good website, I should say. They did a great oh, job. Oh, thank you so much. I, I'm, I'm going to tell them. They're going to be so happy to hear that. They love it. They are super creative people. And they've made this amazing website. So please visit there for anything, for presentations, for books, for the pleasure ladder. Yeah. And, and what is the, the website? What's the oh, address? yeah. <laughs> www.getsbookshop.com and gets is spelled G-O-E-T-Z. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm going to link that in the show notes so that it is easily accessible for anyone who would <laughs> like to go there. And like I said, it's a great website. Definitely do check it out. Uh, Bracha, we're going to end with uh, this question that I've been asking everyone who comes on the show. And I, I'd love to know from you, where do you think you've made the most impact? Mm. Well, okay. It's let's stay safe is, and, and, and talking about personal privacy. I know it's in over 150,000 homes. Wow. And it saved so many lives. So I, I, I'm so grateful for that. You cannot imagine. And I know that that's had a huge impact. It's no longer a stigma to teach children about abuse. And I'm so happy about that. 
I'm thrilled to be a part of it. Also, as a Balchuva, a person that wasn't brought up to be an Orthodox Jew, that I could make this impact is, again, I'm so grateful for that. It's like unbelievable to and me. And I can say that as 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 a parent who... Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not yet at the stage where I need to be having these conversations, but I think about them a lot about, you know, what are, should I be doing anything differently now? What are the things that we can do? And, and all of that, it is so comforting knowing that this is like, I knew about the book. I knew, I knew about the book before I even, you know, before you reached out to, to be on the show or anything like that. And knowing that that is a tool that I have available to me is, is, is really, it's, it's really just, wonderful. So thank you for that. And thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Bracha, her links are in the show notes. On last week's episode, I spoke to So Heidi about a freelance career in fashion. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of Impact Fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 28 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 20 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fatman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Twitz. Catch me on all the socials, including Instagram and TikTok at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.